You're listening to Advice Amplified, and this episode's guest is Mark Stringer. There's a big segment of this marketplace that's just underserved. The owner and founder of Harati Consulting, co-founder at B2 Capital, an all-round legend of the financial advice landscape. I found it staggering that software was an unregulated industry. We talk about the impact of macroeconomic changes, the rise of private equity, and the increasing role that technology and AI has in shaping investment decisions and financial advice practices. Well, one could argue it was, a, it was a very pleasant walled garden that this um, advice industry had created for itself. I hope you love this episode. Please do subscribe to the podcast and check us out on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Advice Amplified. Thanks so much for coming on to Vice Amplified. I'm, I'm really pumped for this this conversation. I think it's going to be a good one. Very excited about it, Pete. Keen to be part of um, the, the great collective that you've assembled for these podcasts. So um very happy to get stuck into it. And, and what a subject. What are some of the, the things you're kind of seeing or, or hearing from, I guess, private equity or some of the, the platform or product manufacturers, specifically as it applies to, to this kind of market? We look at the pricing of assets, um, asset manufacturing, um, and how asset manufacturers are getting these um, products into people's um, savings propositions and pensions. This market, I think it continues to defy um, certain norms. We have had uh, many generations of the, of the defined um, benefits and, and, um, and DC schemes and money purchase schemes. We've seen that serve a lot of generations. The next wave of generations coming um, through to this um, are, are doing a lot of um, self-service and finding out for themselves. And we have an inflection point, I think, where um, the traditional advice um, mode won't be um, relevant to a lot of these um, th- these new entrants. And I think it's um, it's an area that we will again discuss today will be what one could describe as white space that providers such as Ningi are uh, much more nimble, tech-centric and data-centric players are able to um, serve and start to address um, the needs of this next generation of investors who will be certainly looking um, and and doing a lot of browsing to understand where they should actually deploy their savings. So I think it's... um. Yeah, a great inflection point within the um, w- within I guess the next cycle of um, of savings, and we also have this um, this vast amount of um, of wealth that will be moving through the generations uh, in this country. It's it's several trillions over the next ten to fifteen years. The states, it's north of forty trillion dollars is moving from the boomers, and um, from latest stats that we've got, only only twelve to thirteen percent of inheritees, if you will in the US are going to use the same advice model or provision model that their parents um, were using. Because you've almost got like a convergence, haven't you, where accessibility to financial products is just you know ramping up and ramping up there. Um, you know, really low cost available online. There's lots of support and information around, around buying them. But also, I guess, transparency and access to information. So all of those things clustering together, I guess, is creating like a, a wave of opportunity or challenge for financial advisors that maybe have been custodians of, of information and, and the gatekeepers in the past. I'd agree. Um, one could argue it was a it was a very pleasant walled garden that this um, advice industry had created for itself. But yes, with the onset of um, the type of power and information um, access that one's got in one's hand today with 
whether it's your your iPhone or, or, or whatever, this is starting to open a window up on 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 what is possible in regards to saving and, and long term financial planning. Probably accelerated over the last two or three years as a product of the um, of the pandemic, the various um, stimulus packages that um, that certain central banks and administrations used to um, get money out to um, out of people that were not planning to spend that money. Um, and we have seen a, a boom in, in the use of, um, of, let's say, online trading platforms. I think only recently um, Robin Hood just a, appointed the CEO for the UK. So whilst they, they parked their plans to enter the market a few years ago, I think they're now, that's now back on. So the it's going to be services like this that start to uh, broach the whole um, arena of financial education for, for the, the, the Gen Xs and Gen Ys and millennials that are looking at what they're doing with long-term savings and how they're actually, some of them, having to plan their families, um, their families' financial plans. And that will include... Um, the long-term healthcare and long-term provision for um, for their parents, um, ergo, um, the early boomers. Because it's almost like two two C's at the meeting there. There's the self-directed, do-it-yourself, making that more accessible. And then you've got the financial advisors will, will help you and, and kind of coach you through the process. Is it almost the case that one's replacing the other, or is there a will there always be a natural interplay? Because I, I suppose I'm wondering. You know, is the world looking on at financial advisors and sort of saying, look, this is happening, you need to reinvent yourselves, increasingly be relevant and move forward? Or is that always a thing that, that's just going to swell together? There's a, a big segment of this marketplace that's just underserved. Uh, and we look at, again, some of the statistics that, that, that you need to drill down to. There's under a half of, um, of advisors in the UK haven't got succession plans. So this is worrying for their customers. It should be worrying for the employees in the advice companies as well. Um, so that is one stat to look at. And um, the ones that have got succession plans, there's often a case that, they're, um, that their offspring are coming into the businesses. Uh, and this actually is, an, I guess, a, is a, an, some evidence of some forward thinking where you've got the next generation of advisor that have come um, into a business that was set up and operated by one of their parents or both their parents. And they've got an appeal to um, the, the generation that we were talking about a few moments ago who aren't thinking about using an advisor. But I think that's um, relatively niche just now. There probably is a bit of a perfect storm coming up where you've got, um, you've got the the provision of more financial information and education that's at people's fingertips without an advisor. You've got this next gen of advisor that will try to appeal um, on a more mass market footing um, with the power of technology. And we'll talk, I guess, a bit later on about the role of AI, but how um, these um, support or um, tertiary services can be harnessed um, by the next generation of advisor to access a, a, a wider client base and a client base that we, we all believe is um, you know, is is there and ripe ripe for the picking and and also there to be helped. And then back to your first question, looking up and down all around the, the manufacturing end of the um, the value chain, you you've still got mass market providers and manufacturers that are more than happy to. Um, to to put their services to work within this marketplace. If you read recently, I think BlackRock have launched um, an active 
an active, I think, ETF um, at eight, eight basis points. You want to be looking at a service and an advisor who is pointing you at these um, incredibly um, powerful products, um, pro- probably just benefiting from compounding and having that as part of their financial plan. But it's not it's not the be all and end all. It's a it's an element of a, of a, of a longer term financial plan. So I think um, we're looking at continued white space in the entire advice arena, um, and I think it will be the 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 well. I could call you call Ningia startup all the upstarts, which is yourselves, but organisations that um, b- believe that, that one can start to take these types of services to the next next generation of consumer. I think we're going to see it playing out over the next five to ten years, um, and I think we'll we'll see a, a prevalence and an, and an arrival of new and fresh um, service models that, that that are arriving much faster than we've seen historically. Well, one thing that, that struck me in what you said with, um, you know, financial advisors engaging with um, almost the the next cohort, the, the children of their um, their clients. I mean, uh, presumably, if you, if you're not doing that, the value of your firm and the viability of your firm going forward is going to be going to be pretty dramatically impacted. I couldn't agree more. I think we're seeing a polarization um, in in the organizations that are organized and prepped maybe using the i guess the the um i guess the cliche of the folks that were that that were able to fix the roof while the sun was shining in the last few years we've we've now, now seen the you know the the access to cheaper capital has disappeared so organizations that realized they hadn't deployed sufficient capital in rejuvenating their models and making their models modernized are now struggling i mean that also pitted with um Valuations are, are probably on a downward trend for some of these organisations. So, um, are founders going to stick around for a few more years, um, as opposed to exit and, and take a and, and take a discount on what they were hoping to um, to achieve? I think there is going to be quite a polarisation. That will be opportunistic for um, for the acquirers, the acquisitive folks, the people that um, have got dry powder and are ready to deploy more capital into this marketplace. And we're seeing news every week. I don't see that abating. And there are, I think, a great number of firms that are now just hunkering down for um, what will be five to 10 years of, um, of, of, of growth and acquiring the next generation of customer. There are certainly organizations that we could evidence where the founders or principals just now are that they're pretty, they're pretty frightened because they're predicting, you know, the the longevity of their customer base, and and they're thinking, I need to get out of this business pretty soon, because it looks like over half of my customer base aren't going to be here in about ten years' time. I mean, the, the observation I've got, and I know you, you you've made this yourself, um, that the advisory model being being a platform in and of itself, we, we've seen this with technology where, you know, go back twenty years. To start Google, they literally were building servers in a garage, and they had that. They were fundamentally like plugging stuff in, and then you know that gets packaged up, and you've got you know cloud and and, and platform as a service and, and and those kind of things. And now you've got back back end as a service, and I guess advisory models as a service is, is now kind of a, a, a term we're seeing. I couldn't agree more. You know, you know my background: I'm a, a software engineer, but not writing code. I haven't written code for a long time, um, but I've. You know, I've, I've watched the um, the arrival of cloud-based services, um, services that, that are hyperscaling, where you can access almost infinite compute power 
so the idea of assembling um, your own platform and indeed um, accessing some advanced discretionary services, uh, the ability to assemble all of this under one roof, um, I think this is um, something that we're almost certainly we're going to see. And we can, we can also witness the providers that are in the marketplace that have, um, that have tapped into this, this theme. Whether you want to call it Moore's Law, um, but it, it still appears to be uh, you know, applicable um, to how one can go about um, assembling these services. It probably does lean to the, 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 the progress of specialization as well. Highly specialized firms, specialist in, um, in managing and harnessing all of that tech, but specialist in delivering um, relevant um, and, and up-to-date and durable financial services and financial products is, is, is critical and probably a much fuller service model um, where you are, um, you're thinking about estate planning, you're thinking about tax planning, you're thinking about optimizing any any spare money um, that that, all, that 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 families or individuals may may um may have. A small team can now build a financial advice business, get regulated, run everything from the proposition to potentially a platform without having to have a huge infrastructure, huge team, huge overhead. I think it's I mean, that's going to be really exciting. With with the, with the right skills in the right hands, the guardrails are effectively there from these providers sitting on the cloud. Um, you're going to get delivery and service certainty from these organisations. They're not going to get hacked or have a data breach. Otherwise, their stock price is going to tank. Trying to in-house some of that stuff, well, that's extremely difficult. You know, the barriers to entry are they're as high and probably getting in, getting higher than they've ever been. The focus has to be on the regulator um, and how the regulator is encouraging and um, and harnessing these types of um, disruptors, if you will, inviting them into their sandbox, understanding how, for example, AI is going to be applicable and how is AI going to be deployed within the right hands. As you, as you know, I have a heritage at, at Microsoft and when I was writing software, I found it staggering that software was an unregulated industry. I guess the closest regulation has arrived within the software universe is, um, is data, data protection and indeed um, and a number of the, um, the cybersecurity regulations. Um, but it, to this day, regulation around actually building a code stack isn't there. So there is a huge, lot of, a huge amount of responsibility has been placed on people that are now using this stuff. Um, and we've got the, um, we, we need to look to the regulator and the information commissioner's office to ensure that these guardrails are there so that we don't have barriers to preventing these disruptors arriving in the marketplace and delivering these services. It hopefully should be accelerated with the arrival of the next gen of advisor um, and indeed customers that will expect so much more delivered to the, to their, um, to their palm. Um, 24 seven, um, and on to demand. You talked about, um, some of the, the innovators that came out of the valley in the last 20 years. But as, as Zuckerberg often said, um, the servers just can't break. If, if someone comes online and the service isn't there, they will move somewhere else. And it's an almost a split second decision. 
Um, and this is something that you know we need to be savvy to within this marketplace. Totally. I, yeah, digging back to your point on regulation, I, this is something I've been kind of rolling around my brain, I suppose, a little bit, because at the moment you've got a situation where like the, you know, the key kind of chunks of um, delivery of financial advice, you know, financial advice businesses themselves, they're regulated, they're you know, subject to crazy, crazy PI insurance and all, the, all this kind of stuff. And then the platforms are regulated. Increasingly, that bit in the middle that's doing CRM, but then all of a sudden, automating workflows, generating documents, doing calculations, maybe cash flow modeling that's increasingly kind of fundamental to give me, there's no regulation there that, you know, and I wonder, should there be, or, I mean, I've probably got a personal bias towards the, the longer there isn't the better, but, um, you know, maybe it makes sense. I think that's a great question. Uh, and preparing for this session um, with the Ningi team today, I was thinking about this What's causing this polarization within the service providers that we that we believe will survive and the ones that that are struggling uh, is the onset of consumer duty. It's caused a whole range of providers to look at their operating models and cost bases. The ones that were prepared were able to make changes to their op models because they'd harnessed the power of tech and data are looking at this opportunistically. The ones that didn't are now struggling and we realize what that's happening. And we can, we can see that news and events every, every week, um, with organizations that are struggling with that, that, re that, that legislation and that regulation. There'll almost certainly be a, an opportunity as, as we get large language models being deployed and generative AI and properly harnessed where one can start to train these services to ingest this regulation. Or indeed, if the FCA wishes to expose it at a, as a beta level within the sandbox and they bring what they deem as qualified operators, people that have proven to everyone that they've actually harnessed AI properly and they've actually set their own guardrails down, come into the sandbox and test this regulation for us. Um, because the only way we're going to attack the the underserved and the excluded from financial advice is by almost turbocharging what the advisor and the para planner is able to do. So you can effectively scale up their capability with the, the digital assistance that they have got with them. But these are digital assistants that have been, um, have been augmented over, over regulatory frameworks that have been proven and stress tested. Yeah. There's a lot of fear and potential risk of, of using some of these LLMs or, the, the amount of people that are turning to ChatGPT as their financial advisor, being able to wrap some control, wrap, wrap some, I suppose, context and, and um, you know, feed it the regulatory rule book, I'd say, so to speak. That's uh, you know, the, a really interesting concept. Oh, look, 100%, and we shouldn't be fearful. We know how folks are fearful of um, automation and mechanization at the, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. So this is just the next industrial revolution. Inevitably, we are going to see a lot more productivity um, uh, presented to um, providers and actors within the marketplace. I hear stats, and I often quote stats from, for example, Dan Daniela Roos at um, MIT C-Sale, where she runs the artificial intelligence lab at MIT. And she talks about um, 50 to 60% of the firms in the Fortune 500 um, over the next five to 10 years don't exist yet. And this is also linked with the future of work um, op um, operation that's running at MIT as well. So if you start to peer into what the futurists and 
folks um, such as these are describing about the future of work, it brings huge opportunity. And, and we've already discussed this white space today and the fact that there are probably 12 to 13 million people in the UK that aren't getting any form of a meaningful financial advice and long-term savings um, help. And my word, if you could, if you could actually multiply y y yourself, um, Pete, and your colleagues a hundredfold, um, and deploy that um, with people who come up for air or come up for questions from time to time with an actual human. Now, what, what's the problem with that? There is so much white space and so much, you know, literal advice gap. There's people, I think it was something like six and a half million people last year or the year before actively seeking advice and, and were turned away or couldn't, couldn't find it. Um, for you know, probably pricing or inefficiency or, or those kind of things. I suppose I'm, I'm undecided on whether um, AI or business model, are we in a hype curve? Is this just a, a kind of, everyone's really excited, ChatGPT came out, there was this big kind of overhanging what was possible and so everyone thinks the world's going to end or is it actually going to move that quickly and you know, in five years are we going to just see all of these firms that couldn't have been predicted in 2023, all of a sudden, 2028, they just came from nowhere and, and took over the world. I was interesting. Well, it's interesting, um, Pete. I was listening to to Scott Galloway recently, and you know, he he was coining that he felt that taking the Gartner hype cycle, we've probably reached peak AI yeah. at the moment. So what comes next is a, a trough of disillusionment, and then we have to look forward to the slope of enlightenment. So yes, I think some of the heat's going to come out. Um, of the marketplace, anyone jumping into um, open AI or anthropic or whatever at the moment, um, you know, probably go go in court with a cautionary note because valuations will probably drop off. But this happens with tech. Uh, yeah, one needs to have a have a medium to long term view um, and and understand what that what does that slope of enlightenment look like. Uh, the smart operators would have priced this in and also thought through what their roadmaps are like for the next three or four years. We'll be through that trough of disillusionment over the next um, two or three years. But again, we, we're talking and looking at this narrowly, narrowly through the, the wealth or asset management industry. But if you look in the US at how um, health tech is getting modernized and 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 health advice is being um, is being supplied to consumers alongside the Existing and traditional health health services. Um, it's an it's an area of incredible VC interest in the states, um, and we're seeing many funds um, looking at um, at this marketplace. That's just one one area. If you move into the the realms of renewables and, and the next you know, generation of smart energy consumption, um, again you can you can see a, sim a similar um, degree of hype. So I think yeah, look, we get we get peaks and hype. Um, you know, in, in these markets in particular, but um, but I think the next three or four years we'll start to see stabilisation and and real world highly beneficial use cases um, coming from AI. You know, we we definitely observed and, and sat back and, and, and watched some of these startups come to market. Um, probably you know in, in the first half of twenty twenty three that were really just light wraps on top of open AI. Um, that raised a bit of cash, seemed really exciting, moved really quickly, but there was no fundamental kind of value to the proposition that can just be swallowed up, um, and, you know, by um, Bard or whatever else it might be, or Copilot. I suppose what you're saying is actually over the next couple of years, if there is utility and value in there, that 
there's utility and value in there and, and there will be change from it and it's you know you, you mentioned it a few moments ago pete but the idea of infinite compute power at marginal cost is a huge opportunity because one can now set um llms to work on ingesting vast quantities of data so if that data is being harnessed to improve investment outcomes remove the data asymmetries that sit within marketplaces and start to smooth curves um in investment performance that's got to be beneficial and it's all about trying to drive alpha and we've got numerous um, use cases in the research that we do um, of organizations that are doing this um, and the next and the next generation of um of applications which will just start to start to operate in what you could say are those two to three degrees of separation where um just providing market tracking tr tracking performance on the indexes against alpha um, so these folks are um are are really pushing the, the boundaries um which is a, which is a positive thing with everything you, you're kind of seeing from a technology perspective but also just some of those bigger kind of macro moves in, in the market and in the industry what are you most optimistic about and where do you kind of see things moving towards i think uh we are at a potential crossroads we'll call it an inflection point over the next next few years um where the advice industry and and the whole notion of financial advice is going to have a, a a degree of responsibility like it hasn't had for well since its real inception i guess in as we would describe it over the last 30 to 50 years and this is primarily because of the the movement of um of, of a vast amount of wealth between generations the first time that a, a number of members of a family or or or, or generations would have will have to be compelled to seek some financial advice so it's a huge responsibility on um on the industry to ensure that it's doing the maximum it can together with administration central governments and regulators to ensure that 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 type of advice and guidance um is is made possible and accessible to all all takers and then i would also caution that with this type of um upswell um in let's say inherited wealth for example we are moderating this industry for the bad actors the notion of of trust um reliability and security are absolutely paramount because because unfortunately with these events you you will attract um folks with nefarious um objectives and that monitoring is again down to the um the actors and the operators within the industry so huge responsibility huge opportunity um and again an organization a, a a country where actually there there is a framework a, a very strong legal frame and a regulatory framework where this can probably be executed responsibly and in a and in a model that um could be an exemplar to um to other um other countries that's a fascinating answer mark and um we really enjoyed the conversation and i think it's exciting times isn't it really 100% i really enjoyed it pete and it's great to be invited and um, thanks for letting me share some of um, our opinions um, from from our um, our perspective oh, thanks again mark thanks pleasure cheers